The Daily Tap is live for Friday. We have a great show today. We're going to do best case, worst case scenario for the Milwaukee Bucks. We're going to talk about who's your Brewers MVP and answer your questions. We're also going to introduce Friday Confessions. I have a couple confessions to make. They are not serious. Um, they are fun in nature. Um, so hopefully you guys enjoy that. Maybe we'll incorporate your own confessions that I could read anonymously. Because I feel like confessions you can't, unless you feel very comfortable, like you don't want to confess something if it, if it has to be uh, read. I don't know. I, whatever. You guys will enjoy them. I'm telling you, it's not like anything serious. Uh, but before we get started, just a reminder, we are all over social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. We also um, are on all your all your podcast channels, uh, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, where Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts, we're there. Make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you're rating and reviewing. Make sure you're telling friends about it. Be like, hey, get yourself ready for Buck Celtics on Friday by listening to these guys. Not only myself, but also Mitch Ross, who we did a Tapping the Keg on Thursday. So make sure you're checking all that out. You'll be more than enough prepared for the Bucks Celtics game. Let's get into it. Let's talk about the Bucks and Celtics as we continue to wait for Game Three. I don't know how I feel about the multiple days between a game. It feels a lot like the finals, right? You have to wait a few days in the finals before you're getting basketball again. It feels almost football-esque in a way, um, which is ironic because I felt like. The first game that they played was like a football game. Like it was a noon start. It was a huge deal. The city was kind of rocking. Like uh, my wife drove me down to the broad house and you saw a lot of people in Bucks gear out already. Like similarly to what you would see with a Packer game. Now, I don't go out usually for Packer games, but I'm going to just assume. And I'm, I've seen it a few times where I, I know, know what it looks like. And I would imagine this Saturday will be no different. And 2.30 is a college football slot for Saturday afternoon. So it'll feel similar to like a college football Saturday out there. And that's awesome. And the environment's great. And I, I don't worry as much about day games as I used to because the Bucks have grown up. Um, in fact, I wonder if it's more of a Celtic worry because these are younger guys. The younger guys, most of them do not have kids. Um, most of them have their patterns, their naps and everything like that. I think once you have kids, it's a little different. Like you don't get to sleep as much. You don't necessarily have a regimented schedule. Like Giannis has two kids. I mean, he, it, and I think both under do. Like there's no way Antetokounmpo is sleeping a ton. I know probably his partner Mariah does a lot more than he does, but I'm sure that Giannis is, is not necessarily like in a cave until game time. Uh, like Batman or something like that. And Chris has kids. He's not playing, obviously. Drew has kids. Like, they don't have a lot of young guys. I think Bobby Portis might have a kid. Yeah, I think Bobby has a kid. Um, but, you know, like, this isn't necessarily, like, a young team that's just like, oh, fuck, we have to play a day game. We're off our routine. So I don't worry about that as much with the Bucks as I used to. Now, I know that could come to bite me in the ass, but we can get into that here with this best-case and worst-case scenario for the Bucks Celtics over the weekend. So not just for game three, but it's for the entire weekend. So things that could potentially happen and where I'm like, I'm feeling great heading into game number five. 
And unfortunately, um, which I should have mentioned when we were doing the the kind of the promo stuff in the beginning, I will be out of the country starting on Sunday. Uh, I'm seeing a good friend get married out of Mexico. Um, so I, Mitch might be able to do some recaps. Um, he was non-committal to me. Um, Mitch has a early job, so I think it all matters on like what if that game second game goes to two overtimes or something like that. But Mitch has free reign to do the podcast um, on Monday, Monday and Wednesday. So it's kind of just up to him if he's going to do it. Um, and if he does, great. You have recaps. If not, um, I will be back at some point on Friday and just sort of do a where are we at. I plan to record both games um, and get some time to hopefully watch it and see what I missed um, in those, for, those game four and game five. All right, let's now go back to best and worst case. I just wanted to make that that reminder. I'll put it at the end of the show too, um, but you might hear from me. I'm going to try to, if I have time, which is few, is li- very limited, but maybe try to do a couple podcasts tonight um, that are just more evergreen. That'll be right there for you on the days the Bucks don't play. Okay, best case scenario for the Bucks and the Celtics. First thing is that they win both games, right? The Bucks have a commanding 3-1 lead heading back to Boston. They're able to sort of deliver this major punch. And what would happen for the Bucks to win both of those games? Well, Giannis would assert himself and figure out what Boston is doing in the front court. I think there's been a lot of discussion that Giannis can't figure out Boston. I, I don't necessarily buy into that. I think a lot of people are looking at this very short-sighted. Some people are pulling up other games where he's lost, whether it was the Nick Nurse um, series where Nick Nurse kind of had Giannis in a puzzle um, in 2019, the, the bubble series against the Heat. And they're saying, oh, this is an indication that the Bucks might be able to lose the series. One of the things that I think it was Justin Garcia, I apologize if it was somebody else, made mention of is that Giannis also struggled in the first two games against the Celtics in 2019. And then the Bucks ran over them like a supernova on the road and then finished them off at home in game number five. I think Giannis is going to figure out this team. I think if there is a chance of it being the worst case, which we can talk about in a little bit here, I would be more surprised if it was the worst case. I think Giannis is the best player in the world. And I think the best player in the world figures this shit out. I really do. I don't think that this is something that you know they that will continue to plague or fog Giannis. I think Giannis is going to figure it out, and whether that is you know hunting matchups for Robert Williams, whether that is you know kind of approaching Grant Williams differently. I think for Grant Williams, Giannis just needs to back him down. Like to me, Giannis can back that guy down and eat his lunch. Yes, there are some concerns with Grant Williams as a tank. And Giannis can't really run him over, but I think Giannis can do other things. I am not worried one bit that Giannis Antetokounmpo can't assert himself. I think Drew Holiday making things hell for Smart Brown and Tatum is you know another best case scenario. I think there is something that people are missing when it comes to Drew Holiday. Like Drew Holiday, some people are waking up to how good Drew Holiday is, but the fact of the matter is, is Jalen Brown had 25 points in the first half. Jalen Brown went off; it was incredible. There's probably a reason why Jalen Brown didn't go off in the second half, and that was Drew Holiday. And I think the more that they can insert Drew, the more that Drew can kind of be a factor defensively, the less confident Celtics fans should feel. And he's disrupted the perimeter game. I think that's why Tatum hasn't exactly got going. I would be curious to see if if 
Holiday starts on Brown in game number three. Um, just because Brown is a guy who scores a lot in the first quarter. He's a rhythm guy. I, I think this is rude to Jalen Brown, so I apologize to him. Not that he'd be listening to my fucking podcast. But he's kind of like Andrew, he's like an elevated Andrew Wiggins. He's like a rich man's Andrew Wiggins in the sense that if he gets going, like the guy's unstoppable. But if he doesn't and he struggles, then then it's not like he's, he usually doesn't come out of it. Like he doesn't necessarily he doesn't necessarily wake up and have an awesome second half. Uh, the other thing that would make a best case scenario is that Boston can't shoot in a tough environment. I I think people are missing this one. Uh, I think I haven't heard enough of Boston hasn't played a true playoff road game this year. Like they played two games in Brooklyn. Probably the worst fans in basketball. I think worse than the Clippers. They are fake fans. They're front runners. And it was mostly full of Boston fans. They have not played in a tough environment. This will be the first tough environment that they'll play in. The Pantheon, I'm Shannon, I'm using it. I think it's a great term. We're just going to run with it. We'll see how it goes. But they're going to be in the Pantheon. They're going to deal with the Greek God himself. And I think that's going to be a real problem for them. I, I at least first half of the game in game number three. I, I really think that's going to be a first half issue for the Boston Celtics. Uh, also best case, and this is for game three and four, Bucks start quick and don't put themselves in a hole. Um, Mitch and I talked about this, so I don't need to do too much, but all I'll say is like, you cannot start slow. Like the Bucks have been slow starters this entire playoffs. It would be really great if they just came out with a full-throated punch to start a game, um, whether it's in game three or in game four. The Bucks find something behind the arc, whether that's Portis, whether that's Drew, whether that's Grayson, Pat Connaughton. Uh, you know, I, I think they were really bad from three. They shot only 18 threes. That is like old NBA. That's like looking at a 2003 box score, right? Uh, I think that was partly Boston's defense. I think Boston was basically doing the inverse of the the Bucks, where they're like, all right, we'll let you get every layup possible, but we're not going to give you anything from beyond the arc. And we'll close out like crazy and so basically we'll be trading threes for twos. And we know your twos will go in and hopefully our threes will. I think that's what Boston's doing. I'm not sure. I would imagine that Milwaukee will find ways to free up dudes. Whether that is Drew, or that's Bobby, whether it's Grayson. I think they're going to have opportunities from deep in this one. And I think being in your home court, knowing your lines, I think some of the things that struggled were you had, I think both games, one buck player, or two bucks players, like stepped on the baseline or the sideline. Like I, I think there'll be a lot more comfort being at home. Everybody stays healthy, um, always. Um, that's a best case forever and ever, no matter really if you're ever doing this sort of best case, worst case breakdown. And then lastly, Middleton's able to come back for game five, but the Bucks will wait and see or bring him off the bench. So Middleton was given a we'll see by Mike Boonholzer. Now Mike Boonholzer to me feels like a guy who plays a lot of cards. Like his look is a guy who I wouldn't be surprised if I saw Pato three o'clock chain smoking, um, having a few beverages. So him saying we'll see might be just a poker move. It might just be a, well, who knows? Now, I do wonder if the Bucks were to win two games, I don't think they would bring Middleton back. I think if it got then to a game six, I think maybe then you put Chris Middleton in as a bench player. Um, if it's 2-2, I don't know. 
Um, that's a decision for the Bucks to make. I think looking at the schedule, it's kind of tough on a guy who's coming off a knee injury. It's like, well, what do you do there? Do you play him Friday and then you probably don't have him for game seven? Do you hold him out until game seven as like, all right, he probably can't play like in with one day off of rest. He has to be very comfortable. And I trust the Bucks training staff, Suki and that crew do a really good job. They know what the fuck they're doing. So I'm not going to criticize them. They're not like the Packers, right? Where the Packers, I feel like, are very conservative. I think the Bucks are semi-conservative, but I, I do think they listen to their players. The fact that Giannis was out there with a pretty beat up knee, I think Giannis finally felt good in game number three. And I, even then, I don't know how, how good he felt. I don't know if the Packers uh, training staff would do the same. That'd actually be an interesting topic. Uh, what, what would be the difference between the Packer doctors and the Bucks doctors if their star player had a significant knee injury? I think Rodgers would be out there too. I, I really do. Um, I think he would basically tell Pat McKenzie to fuck off and he'd be out there. As for worst case scenario, I have the Bucks losing game three. So you're like, Charlie, why wouldn't you have the Bucks losing both games? Well, I'll tell you, my friend. The Bucks lose all the momentum if they lose in game three. If they lose game three, the Bucks are in a perpetual hole that they will have to work like hell to get out of. Let me walk you through this. If they lose game three, but then they win game four, it's like, all right, it's 2-2, it's going back to Boston. But Boston has the advantage because it's, you know, at the Celtics arena. Now, I know the Bucks have won there, but it's game five. It will be a loud, loud crowd. And yeah, if the Celtics win again, then it's the Bucs are staving off elimination. To me, it feels like the Bucs are always sort of playing behind. Similarly to what we saw against Brooklyn, what we saw against Phoenix, where the Bucs were down 2-0 and they had to win both of their games. Like at, they got a little bit of that momentum back in game three in both those series, but then they weren't necessarily the aggressor in game four. You know, in fact, the Hawks series, you know, I think the Bucs, I don't know. No, they wouldn't have. They got beat pretty good in that game four in Atlanta. But I was going to be like, well, maybe they would have been up 3-1 if Giannis didn't get hurt. But they weren't playing well in that game. I think they were down 10 when Giannis got hurt. And so it would have been a 2-2 series regardless. But even that's a little different, right? Because that's not on the road. Like that's a little more in that house money zone, which we talk about all the time. Um, so I think losing game three would be a significant issue. Especially because you're going to have a better crowd on, on Saturday than Monday. You just are. You're going to have a lot of people, a lot of rowdiness, a lot of, it's going to be loud in there. And so the crowd will be much better on Saturday as well, which I think I think matters. Like I think that's really important for what we're doing here. And so, yeah, Bucks losing game three would definitely be a worst case scenario. Um, Giannis still having problems with Grant Williams and Horford. And people begin to question Giannis, and all of a sudden, you know, some of the noise around the Celtics having an all-time defense starts to look true. Um, that to me would be a disaster. Um, I think Giannis has to start quick, and we'll see if Boston frustrates him early on. Uh, Holiday and/or Lopez get into foul trouble. I think part of the reason why Boston was very successful in Game Number Two was because Brooke Lopez was in continued foul trouble. Um, he was not on the court that often. I think you need more Brooke Lopez, and I think the fact that he wasn't on the court really kind of you know hindered what the Bucks were doing. I think Holiday would be the same issue, right? I think then that would open up opportunities, whether it be for Brown, whether it be for Tatum, um, and they would start to cook. Speaking of Tatum, he finally returns top five form. 
Um, I don't think Jay's Tibbs top five player, by the way. Um, I think he's a top ten player. But um, it's more of a tongue-in-cheek thing. Uh, Tatum, to me, has not been that good in this series. I think people are kind of discounting that. That really, I think the only big moment for Tatum was that three-pointer that he was wide open to kind of be the dagger. But he was up like 13 already. I just haven't really seen it from Jason Tatum. I feel like Jason Tatum's been pretty quiet in this series. Um, but, you know, we're focused on his kid and everything else, and so people just forget it. But whatever. It is what it is. Someone else gets hot from beyond the arc. So you had in game one, you had Al Horford, who had six threes. You had Grant Williams, who had six threes um, in game two. So who is it in game three? Is it Marcus Smart? Is it Jason Tatum? Is it, you know, but it's more a bench guy. So it's not Tatum. Throw that out. It's like Smart. It's like Peyton Pritchard, Derek White. I would be stunned if both White or Pritchard were the guys that kind of came through in the clutch because those guys were playing with poop in their diaper at home. I can't imagine what it's going to be like playing in Milwaukee for those guys. I think that's a major concern for Boston, um, that neither of those guys look like they're playoff ready, that they need a little bit more seasoning, and they're not necessarily as locked in as some of the others. Uh, but yeah, someone else gets hot from the end of the arc. I mean, it still could be Williams. I mean, what's to say Grant Williams couldn't be this version of Fred Van Vliet? Like, I thought about that a day ago. I should have brought it up to Mitch because I think Mitch would have killed me. But like... Grant, there is a world where Grant Williams is the Fred Van Vliet of the series. And I thought about it. I know it's out there. I, I think it's there's a possibility. I hate that I thought of it. I hate that that still gives me nightmares. But there is a chance that Grant Williams is that thorn in our side guy. Now, sometimes you're able to overcome that, right? Like Bruce Brown was kind of that dude for a little bit of the Brooklyn series. Um, Danilo Gallinari, I thought was like he never missed against the Bucks in that uh, Eastern Conference round. Cam Johnson, to me, was that dude in the in the finals. So, like, those guys always seem to exist in a playoff series. I don't think, you know, Grayson Allen was that way for the Bulls, right? That some guy just steps up and has an awesome series. So it's very possible that Grant Williams is that guy. But it's a question of are you able to quell it or, or is he Fred Van Vliet? Is he then in the fuck you Hall of Fame? which Fred Van Vliet is definitely in that, where you're just double burning Fred Van Vliet anytime you see him. Uh, Bucks start slow after a win on Saturday with a more subdued crowd on Monday. To me, that would suck, right? If the Bucks come out, they kick ass on Saturday, they do their job, they're 2-1 up, they have a chance to be 3-1 before heading back to Boston, and they somehow come out flat. That would be very annoying. That would be something that would drive me absolutely fucking crazy, just considering how the Bucks, you know, have that opportunity to maybe be up three one. Uh, Giannis, another worst case is he starts to look beat up from all the punishment. Um, beaten, or yeah, he looks beaten. Maybe not beaten up. Yeah, beaten up soured. But anyways, he looks like just ragged after four games. Like he looks just tired. He looks like. He's just taking a ton of punishment, ton of sort of hits. I realize he says he likes the physicality, which I love as a football guy, but I maybe it's just too much for Giannis um, as, you, as you come down the stretch. And then lastly, um, Miami sweeps Philadelphia. Not only Milwaukee, but also Boston. Because if this game, this series goes six or seven, it's possible Miami's going to have like a week off. Like, PJ is going to be able to be at 11 all weekend. Like, he's going to be able to just live it up. They're all going to have a good time. They're all going to reset. They're older. Te- they're an older team. You probably will get Kyle Lowry back 
for that series if his hamstrings feeling all right like there's a lot of things that Miami could do with having a week off they also have a week off for Spolstra who's probably the best coach in basketball to really dissect whether it's Boston or Milwaukee so I I would hate the Heat to have a sweep but no Embiid tonight he's not playing in game three because of the concussion and the fracture Uh, and the Sixers have looked pre-beaten up these last two games they seem to be not able to finish which seems to be a theme with philadelphia sports if you saw the philadelphia phillies blow a six-run lead in the ninth inning yesterday so yes we'll see what happens as for a prediction i think the bucks win by seven to nine um on saturday i think it's not really close i think they're able to kind of overwhelm the celtics early i think the crowd's going to be a real factor for boston early on and i think the bucks will look like they're in command. As for game four, I think that is a toss-up. Um, I will... I'll say the box, but I don't feel great about it. I would say I, I put the box at like... If they win game three, I'd say the Bucks have about a 55% chance to win. If they lose game three somehow, I would say they have more of like a 75% chance. I feel a lot better about them if they lose because I think there would be that sense of urgency for Milwaukee. But I expect that sense of urgency to be there for game three. Like I said, keep sort of the being the punchy versus the puncher. Like if the Bucks keep that 2-1, then you get into game five and that's, it could just be holding serve. And then it could be back to game seven's mattering with the home court and we're going to do all that dance, but we'll do that dance next week, baby. We won't, we won't do that right now. So we'll see what happens. Um, also, we'll be at the Broad House Saturday afternoon, upstairs, um, hopefully the right corner. Uh, we are there for the Bulls-Bucks game in game number three. So I hope you guys join us. Um, everybody's welcome. Um, we have a good community there. Just chatting sports. I think it's the best bar to watch sports in, in Wisconsin. Um, yeah, not, not even Milwaukee, Wisconsin. There you go. All right, moving on to Milwaukee Brewers. They have a big series this weekend against the Atlanta Braves. We talked a lot about that road trip. Uh, Mitch and I did on yesterday's show. But they did sweep the Cincinnati Reds. Um, that was quite the quite the homer display by Milwaukee. Uh, 20 home runs in six games. I can tell you that we might be working on a shirt. We don't we haven't done merch in a long, long time. I've always kind of wanted to do merch. I think the problem with merch is that it gets expensive. Um, it's a lot of overhead, right? And it's a lot of making sure that you have a store set up and everything else. Um, I won't bore you with the gory details, but there is a potential shirt in the mix for the Brewers. Uh, but I need I need to see the offense kind of sustain on, on the road. That is sort of the role. If, if it's able to sustain on the road, we will green light this shirt. So more to come there potentially. So who is the Brewers MVP thus far on both the hitting and the pitching side? I will give it to Ryan Teles. So there's a lot of guys you could consider. You could consider Willie Adams. You could consider Teles. You could consider maybe even Andrew McCutcheon. Um, those are all dudes that potentially could be in the mix for the quote-unquote MVP of the first first uh, month of the season. But it's Ryze Les. He's had a monster time at the dish. Uh, the guys had eight home run or seven home runs, excuse me, seven doubles, and an OPS of nearly a thousand. Life is very good for the big man, and Rowdy continues to be a revelation and not show that he was this second-half wonder, that Raleigh Telez was actually going to be a stud. And it's David Stearns 
all over again. This is what David Stern does. He finds guys on the scrap heap that teams sort of push to the side. And, and you know, Toronto had a ton of dudes, right? Vladimir Guerrero is playing first base right now. I don't think they would rather have Roddy Telez over Vladimir Guerrero. But this just shows you why it's worth taking a chance on a guy who has potential. And the Brewers have done so well at the first base position, stating back from Eric Thames, then Jesus Aguilar, now Roddy Telez. Like, it's just a long lineage of big, hidden first baseman. And now, to me, like, Roddy Telez is your, is your four-hitter, your five-hitter. He's right now hitting five because you have Yelich hitting third, and they like to not have the lefty-lefty matchup. Craig Council is addicted to making sure that matchups are as difficult for the opposition as humanly possible. And he's also hitting lefties a little bit. Like, I, to me, and he's not striking out either. Like, his strikeouts, I think he's at 20 strikeouts this season. That's why I put Robbie Tellez over Willie Adams. I Willie Adams is also having a really good year. Like, I think both, if we were doing this, like, the NBA or the NFL, where we're like, you know, Stephen A is banging on a table for MVP candidates, like, Telez and Adamas would have to be considered. I think there would be Mets players you'd consider. I think there would be Dodgers dudes or San Diego. Manny Machado, I think, is right now having an incredible start to the season. So I think he's still tops an F war, which is kind of like the stat that people look at when it comes to who's really playing the best so far this season. I did not pull F war stats for uh, the MLB, but I can grab them right now. Okay, they have primary war. I thought they had... Yeah, whatever. I'm not going to worry about it. So right now, Manny Machado has the best war in all of baseball. Not just not just the National League, but he's at 2.3 so far. Definitely picking up the scraps. Willie Adamas is 10th, which is crazy, actually. So like, if you look at war right now, start the year. So yeah, if we're having the Stephen A debate, it'd probably be between Manny Machado and Nolan Arenado and maybe Jazz Chisholm. That would be the three guys that we'd be talking about right now for potential MVP um, so far this season. Uh, if we're just pacing it off war. So maybe the Brewers are a little bit behind in that MVP conversation. But I would imagine if Willie Adamas keeps it up, he's going to be in that conversation. And Adamas, another guy who, again, David Stearns took the scrap heap, understood that they were ready to get rid of Adamas because they had Wander Franco. And Wander Franco is a stud. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I would... Prefer to have Wander Franco over Willie Adamas, even though I love Willie Adamas. Uh, Wander is a very, very good player. But that's, again, an advantage where Stern, Stern saw it and made a move. <coughs> and don't discount him doing something like that again when there's the opportunity where a, prospect, where a guy is blocking a prospect and he's still pretty good. For pitching... I think you would think I would say Corbin Burns or Josh Hader. Those are both pretty obvious answers for pitchers. But I'm going to say Eric Lauer. So I think Eric Lauer's month has been so impressive. Uh, The guy has been a strikeout machine. I do think teams will adjust to Eric Lauer at some point. But I, I give it to Eric Lauer. I think what Eric Lauer has done this year has been fantastic. Uh, he's pitching really well for the Brewers. And I think he's really picked up. Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta, who've been kind of just okay. And that, to me, is what matters here. And I think Eric Lauer is a certified three-starter. I've said that for a couple weeks now. I think Lauer has established himself as a premier pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. 
And right now, the Milwaukee Brewers are one through five great. Like, they don't have a blind spot in their pitching staff. I realize Adrian Hauser struggled a little bit against Cincinnati. I'm not too worried about that. So I'm just very impressed with what the Brewers have been able to bring to the table when it comes to their pitching staff. And Eric Lauer, to me, is the guy that I would give it to as he's kind of held the water for some of the other ones. And I think that, though, speaks to the rotation, right? Because next month it could be Freddie Peralta, right? And maybe Lauer struggles and maybe Hauser's not as good. Or it's just Woodruff and Burns, and they're awesome. And I think as long as you have two really awesome starters, and you have three guys who are just okay, or a little bit above average, you're going to be very good. They have no weak spots, though. You didn't know, like, uh, Patrick Corbin's in the lineup, right? Like, we're, I know the Nationals aren't very good, but Patrick Corbin's a terrible pitcher. And you're not like, oh, my God, it's Patrick Corbin day. And you're like, pray for dear life got to probably score eight runs to win this game that's not usually that with the brewers which is great and that's that's kind of a spoiled fan right you get to enjoy that as for the series against the braves uh prediction wise i think it'd be great to take two out of three i know atlanta's not playing as well as they probably will at the end of the year like i expect atlanta to be there uh when this thing all cooks so they might be getting atlanta at the right time um, I would just like to send the Braves a little bit of a message. As the Brewers struggled against them last year in the playoffs, it'd be great to get two out of three from Atlanta. So hopefully they start off today with a win. Uh, it's unknown who the Braves are throwing out at pitcher. As of now, I didn't see if they've actually announced who's starting their game for them. But 620 start um, if you need something to watch as you're waiting for the Bucks, And they start 620 on Saturday. You get Burns versus Max Freed, which is an awesome pitching matchup. And it's probably much right after the Bucks game. So you can go Bucks into Brewers. So nice little sports day. And you get the Kentucky Derby right in the middle of that. Like, that's perfect. That's, that's how you want to do sports on Saturday. So that's fantastic. Yeah, it's Lauer tonight against the Braves, who do hit lefties well. So this will be a, a good test for Eric Lauer. Um, but no word yet on what the Braves are going to do at their starting pitching. Who knows? Maybe a bullpen day for Atlanta. All right, let's move on to your questions. Uh, thank you for the two that submitted. Um, I I don't know. I don't know if I need to have like an open question. Like basically like you can ask me anything, anytime, like a Google form. Or if I need to get them out earlier. Um, I was a little disappointed with the participation. Uh, but you guys responded on Facebook. Shout out to Shannon and Bobby uh, who asked these questions. Uh, so Shannon asked me a sports question. Bobby asked me more of a life question. We'll start with the sports question. Shannon goes, say the Bucks don't win the title this year. What's one move you'd like to see them make in trade or free agency for 2023? So my first like immediate answer would have been Kyle Kuzma if he's available. Kyle Kuzma has two more years left on his deal. He's pretty cheap. He would be a guy that I think would be awesome off the bench. I think he can play multiple positions. I think he would be maybe an elevated version of Bobby Portis. I know we all love Bobby. But like I feel like Kuzma would just add to the size of the Bucks, but also give them a little bit of size on the wing. That's kind of a sneaky thing that they don't have is size on the wing. You have Pat Content, you have Grayson Allen. They're both pretty athletic, but they, they aren't that big. And so Kuzma would give them some size. He can rebound, he can score. I think Kuzma has a respect for Giannis. He's a very active Twitter user and talks about Giannis all the time. So I think he would buy in. 
I think they would really. I think there would be a lot to like about Kuzma if he was available. But I don't know if the Wizards would make him available. They might want to build around Kyle Kuzma, and sort of he he is the future along with Porzingis if they're looking to move off Bradley Beal. So I don't know if Kuzma will even be available. But if he was available, that'd be a guy I'd have interest in. As for free agents, uh, a couple guys that come to mind that I think would be affordable. Uh, would be Gary Harris, again, that wing size, guy who can shoot 3 and D off the bench would be really good. I think you could start Gary Harris. Maybe he's an upgrade for what you have with Wes Matthews. Um, Joe Ingles, I don't think Joe Ingles could necessarily start, but again, you get another shooter, a guy who could really sort of make things happen off the bench. Um, not a great defender. That's the only drawback there. Um, more on the point guard side, if he doesn't take... His player option, Patty Mills. Um, I like Patty Mills last year. I don't know if Patty Mills would want to come to Milwaukee, but to me, like Patty Mills would be a guy that would be awesome off the bench. Would be an upgraded version of what they have with George Hill. Another couple of cheaper point guard options that I think would be worth exploring. I always kind of like Corey Joseph's game. Like he doesn't do much, right? But I think Corey Joseph is a solid bench player, solid rotational guy. Um, Trey Burke uh, doesn't play a ton of defense. But again, another dude who I wouldn't hate coming off the bench for the Bucks. Definitely a little more spry than what you have with George Hill. But you also have Javon Carter. And if you sign Javon Carter back, I'm probably okay with Javon Carter being your backup point guard. It's just making sure you have more guard depth, making sure you have more wing depth, making sure you have even maybe more inside. I don't know if you need as much inside. I looked at that. I almost put like Zubac on there who has a club option. And like, do you need another big guy? But I'm not sure they do. Like, seeing that they haven't used Surge, it's like they really only need another big guy if Bobby, if Brooke gets hurt. But if they're convinced that Brooke's going to be fine, then I don't think they're going to bring in another big guy. Uh, the last one I had on this was Malik Monk. I'm not giving up on Malik Monk. Malik Monk is 24 years old. He can shoot the fucking lights out of the gym. He is an absolute microwave, all right? We've seen guys who've came off the LeBron teams sort of flourish. And it's weird, right? You see guys who play with LeBron, they struggle, they get get out of LeBron, and then they flourish. You saw with Brandon Ingram, you saw with Lonzo Ball. Like Malik Monk is a top 10 guy. He's 24 years old. I would love to take a flyer on Malik Monk. To me, like that's a guy who could be a six man of the year. Like he, to me, he has that Jordan Crawford in him a little bit, or Jordan Crawford, Jamal Crawford. Uh, Jordan's brother. Uh, so yes, I think Malik Monk could definitely be a guy that I'd be interested in taking a lottery ticket on. And you know John Horst will take lottery tickets. It's kind of Horst's model is taking a chance on three or four guys and seeing what works. He did it with, he's done it the last two years. He did it with Semi Ojale, Rodney Hood. Who else was on that? I'm now blanking. He did hit with somebody. Oh gosh, I can't remember. But then, you know, worked in Wes Matthews, worked in... John Carter, and he just kind of keeps developing as the year goes on. So he he's going to take chances. I forgot somebody that I'm, I'm missing in point blank, and it's going to bother me. All right, life question for Bobby. Can't miss spots when you were in Eau Claire for a weekend. Give me some nostalgia as I made, make my way back for rugby weekend. First of all, that sounds awesome. I'll be in Eau Claire in about a month, less than a month, for uh, my guy Cappen's Wedding, um, the wedding, or I'm staying downtown Eau Claire at the Lismore. So, to me, I feel like you got to do like the goat 
for it's not it's literally called the goat sandwich shop it's not like the greatest of all time it's just called the goat they have some of the best breakfast sandwiches you can get in eau claire i think you have to go to staven hoop and just get something there right you have to do that for the nostalgia's sake i also like the cookies at holiday um we were a big fan and i don't i can't remember if the broad is still there or not but we what we would do is we'd call it the triangle and we'd start out at the gi and the GI would have delusionals, um, and you'd at least have one delusional. You might have two delusionals. And for those who are not Eau Claire aficionados, the delusional was basically chalk, chalk full of booze. No one really, really knew what was in it. Blue Carousel was definitely in it. I think there were multiple alcohols. You get pretty fucked up. It was a good way to start. They were $5. It was perfect, right? Then you go to the pickle. And look, I know people have a lot of opinions on the pickle. Pickle is still like the first bar that I like sort of it was an every sort of weekend thing for me and you can judge me for that you can whatever I love the pickle um I think pioneer has kind of grown in popularity if I if I recall um a pioneer also a great option um with Bobby's crew I've spent some days at the pile so I would imagine he'd be more of a pile guy uh but yeah they and I think pile had fish bowls right as I was like leaving I'm like where's where was this two years ago guys uh, but yeah, I think either of those are great, sort of that second triangle. And then you ended at the Brat. And I think the Brat's back. Uh, I know it closed down for a while. I think it might be back. The Brat House is an incredible place. Now you're like, wow, Charlie, it all comes full circle. That's why you like the Brat House um, here in Milwaukee. It's a little bit different. Uh, the Brat House, H-A-U-S, um, in, in Eau Claire, smelled like a basement. It literally smelled like a basement. Uh, people may or may not have done heavy drugs in the in the basement of that bar. So the basement to the basement bar. It's not a basement bar. It's on one level, but it smells like one. They sell Boone's Farm by the bottle for $7. It's incredible. Um, I have no idea why they were selling glass bottles of Boone's Farm. It sounded like an immediate way for someone to smash a bottle in a fight and then slit someone's throat. But I was like, you know what? It's a risk we're willing to take. Um, yeah. And it had a fun dance floor. It just, it's, it was always a party there. The music was really good. Um, so I was always a fan of Broad House. And then when you got done with the Broad House at, you know, 1, 1.30, uh, was going to Buzzies and getting yourself a snack. Uh, Buzzies to me, top late night spot. Uh, my buddy Fant, who just got engaged, he wants buddy, Buzzies to cater his wedding um, <laughs> for the late night. I don't know if a lot of places will allow that. That's incredible though. If he does pull that off, it's an all-time wedding thing. It's like, it's just, it's going to be an all-timer. Uh, my personal favorite was their stripper sandwich, which was a chicken strip sandwich with mayo and ketchup, lettuce, onions. It was perfect. It was a great late night food option. I never really liked the Euro. I had some friends who liked the Euro. I'm a big anti-Euro guy late, um, just because your mouth literally smells like you were buried in an asshole for an hour after eating a gyro. Because likely you're not brushing your teeth after you get done with gyro, you're just passing out. And then you you have an asshole mouth all morning because you ate a gyro. And your house smells like gyros. I'll never forget, Eric and I got Apollo at one of Eric's old places and his wife, or I think then at the time, I can't remember if they were engaged or his girlfriend. I think they were engaged. But anyways, it doesn't matter. She wasn't there. We come home and we have gyros. We go to bed. We wake up in the morning and that place fucking smelled like onions and lamb meat. Oh my God, it was bad. So yes, I'm not a Euro guy, but Buzzy's has that. He has mac and cheese pizza, which was 
a fascination to a lot of Eau Claire, Eau Clarians, Eau Claire, Eau Claire residents at the time. Even though like at that point, Ian's was starting to hum, hadn't really expanded in Milwaukee. Um, now I feel like mac and cheese pizza is everywhere. But at the time, it was very, it was very sort of, sort of rare. You didn't necessarily have it as much. So that would be my answer. Um, I could go on for days on different Eau Claire sort of things. Um, I was never a big floater. Um, it's probably too cold to float, so that's probably not on the table. Um, I know the Firehouse is a is a good like non like Water Street bar that has a lot. Um, that definitely is a popular downtown option. I didn't do it a lot in downtown. I was more of a Water Street kid, just where my where my houses were. Um, so that was kind of. That was kind of it. So I'm jealous of Bobby. I'm hoping you have fun. Um, I'm, I was trying to coerce my wife into going out to Water Street after the wedding um, in about oh, basically a month. It's like three weeks away. We have to get up early for uh, to drive her to a bridal shower, but I still think it'll be worth it. I could figure it out, whether it's Revitalite, whether it's uh, Liquid IV, something like that, whatever. It'll be fucking worth it. Like if I just have to bring enough noise around it, and I'm good at that. That's one of my strengths. People forget that. Okay, I I do have to go, um, honestly. Um, so Friday confessions, we will save for another time. I've went 40 minutes. That's crazy. Um, I was like, oh, short podcast today, you know, whatever. Um, but yes, we will bring Friday confessions in next week. Um, like I said, they're not, they're not anything big, but uh, we'll do Friday confessions next week. I think you guys will enjoy them. Um, and actually, I could build up maybe one of my confessions that I have uh, for today. I will give you a quickly. I've, I'm actually excited for the Jack Harlow album. So I will say more about that confession next week, but I, because his album's out today, and like I'm very excited to listen to it. Like as excited as I've been for anybody from an album perspective in a long time. I know Pusha T and Future just had albums out, which I like Pusha T's a lot better than I liked Future's. But yeah, I'm more excited for Jack Harlow than both of them. And I like both of them too. So there's one confession at least. That'll give you a tease of what these confessions are. All right, sounds good. Take care. Have a great weekend. Like I said, I'm in Mexico until uh, Thursday. So I'll be back Friday of next week. Um, we'll probably do a show Friday. We'll probably do a show Saturday too. Because um, if it's game six for the Bucks, um, we'll want to recap that. And then, yeah, go forward. And maybe Bucks win in five, and we don't. We aren't doing a show on Saturday. All right, or we're getting ready for game one, Bucks seat. We'll see. All right, take care of yourself. Have a great weekend. Uh, see you at the Broadhouse. Have a good one. Bye.